Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. We're going to move on in our uh, study of spiritual maturity, and tonight we're going to be looking at the uh, number six or the sixth impedance, and I just want to start before we get fully into it, uh, just by encouraging you a little bit with all of this, all right? Um, As we look at these impedances, these things that keep us from spiritual maturity, they're not intended to discourage you. They're not intended to, like, tear you down and uh, make you feel insufficient or less than. You know, we hear these things, and you say, man, the things that are keeping people from spiritual maturity that we see in Scripture— they're in my life, and I'm just, you know, no, they're not intended to, to, to make you feel like that. And the marks that we talk about, they're not, to, they're not intended to make you feel like that you're less than or you're not ever going to be spiritual uh, because you say, man, I, I hear those things, and they're just not in my life or they're not, pro, uh, you know, pronounced in my life. Um, these messages, this study is intended to be a guide, if you will. Uh, it's intended to be a resource. It can even be a measuring stick. Uh, When we look at these different marks and these impedances, it should be something that we evaluate our lives by. We should say, all right, this is what the Bible says should be in our life. These are things that hinder us from being spiritually mature, and so I need to evaluate evaluate my life based on that. Um, These should be things that ensure that we're moving and advancing uh, towards spiritual maturity to the fullness of the stature of Christ. And so we have uh, an important thing uh, to, to, to make sure that we look at these things, evaluate our life, and then respond from there. Uh, but speci- specifically talking about these impedances, um, we, we shouldn't look at them as like obstacles in our lives. In other words, we shouldn't say, uh, these are uh, something I'll never get beyond. I have this ele- element in my life, and I'll never get past it. Uh, we shouldn't see it as a, an obstacle. We should see it as an opportunity for growth. And so, uh, again, I just want to encourage you with that. So when we look at this tonight, uh, I put it out on Facebook and said, you know, um, this is something that we all deal with. And when, when I share what it is tonight, uh, you'll say, yeah, this is something, maybe different levels, different measures, different times or seasons. It's, it's more uh, pronounced in your life than others. Um, but it is definitely something every single person deals with. And so, uh, with that, I want to pray, and I want to look at this sixth impedance and see if we can't grow from this. Father, thank you so much for this time. Uh, thank you for what we've already been able to experience in this time of worship and uh, through song. Lord, we thank you for, uh, again, what you did on Sunday. Lord, we celebrate you. We celebrate uh, just your goodness and uh, the opportunity to share the gospel. Lord, again, we rejoice in, in, in what you did. I, again, I'm so thankful for uh, our church being active in serving others, being active in inviting others. And I pray it would be an encouragement to us moving forward. Um, people sometimes just need an invite. Sometimes people just need to, to know that someone uh, cares about them enough to share uh, Christ with them. And so I pray that it would be an encouragement to us to keep pressing forward, to keep inviting, to keep uh, beckoning people uh, to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And Tonight, as we look at your word, I pray that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would speak through me. I'm just a a vessel. Uh, God, you, it's your word, it's your spirit, it's your kingdom, it's your plan. And so, uh, again, just speak to us tonight, Lord. Help us all glean from this message what we need. 
And I pray that we'd respond rightly to it. And we'll be sure to praise you for all of it, God. We ask and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we looked at five impedances so far. I want to look at those five impedances, things that if they're present in our lives, they can keep us from growing to Christ-likeness. They can keep us from growing uh, more spiritually mature. The first thing that we saw that was an impedance was strife and, and or division, right? So if you are one that's prone to feeling uh, divided, if you're one that you're always looking for the, uh, the critical angle, you're, you, there's just strife in you, um, just know that that, that that strife, that division uh, is going to keep you from growing spiritually. It doesn't mean that you don't have uh, a different thought or, or have a different opinion or a different take or whatever, but strife and division, if you find yourself always getting into arguments or discussions or finding problems or being a, a problem finder, not a solution finder, it's going to hinder you from growing spiritually. The second one was carnality. We talked about fleshly indulgence. So if you're living your life in a way that all you're doing is pleasing your flesh, that's how you make decisions. Uh, that's how you approach church. That's how you approach the Word of God. That's how you approach your Christian faith. That is, is what makes, what pleases you. Um, then, again, it's going to keep you from growing spiritually. Third thing was pride. Uh, if you're full of pride... This is something that pride is uh, usually saying is something like this. I'm not wrong or I won't do this. It's, it's coming from that place of uh, just rebellion. Um, and, and that's what scripture says. Number four, inconsistency, unreliability, or unfaithfulness. Uh, if you're not faithful, if, you, if that's just a characteristic in your life, you're not reliable, uh, you're inconsistent, Again, if you find that, and, and, and that's the struggle, right, for a lot of us in, in some things like Bible reading or prayer. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I think the majority of people in here could say, I'm not consistent with these things. It's, it's, it's a few people that are uh, consistent in those, in those disciplines, if you will, of personal devotion, prayer. Um, and again, if you're inconsistent in that, it's going to keep you from growing. You've got to get to consistency and, and spiritual things. And then number five, information without application. And that's just basically biblical knowledge. And, and we talked about that. Uh, that's like, you know, I know everything that it says. I'm just not necessarily doing it. Uh, the Bible talks about the end times. There's a lot of people that are ever learning, but they never come to the knowledge of the truth. And so you can know a lot of scripture. You can, you can even have a lot of scripture memorized. You could even tell other people the scriptures you know. But that doesn't mean that you're spiritually mature. If you're not applying the knowledge you have, that's still a, a sign of immaturity. And so um, these things are all things that will keep us from growing to Christ-likeness. The sixth thing tonight is selfishness. Selfishness. Now you could throw that in with what some of the things I already talked about with carnality or pride. Um, you know, you, you could say, well, that, that can kind of be mingled in there, and it could be. Uh, but we want to pull out this, this thing, this characteristic, this problem uh, that, I said, as I said in the beginning, all of us can deal with, and that selfishness. So maybe you look at yourself and, and, and you say, I don't really feel like that I'm a selfish person. I feel like that I'm always doing for others. Um, and, and, and that's okay to have that take. But I'm talking about it, it may be in places that you're not realizing that you're selfish. Um, selfishness can manifest itself in many ways. Uh, but ultimately, here's the reality of selfishness. 
Selfishness is the expression of self as God, little g. Selfishness is the expression of, the, of a person's life saying, I am my own God. When we say, I'm more concerned about me, I want to do this, I, I, I. When, when selfishness is, is prevalent in our life or, or, or seen in our life, we have now, again, expressed that we have made ourselves God. I want to do this. I'll do what I want to do. I'll do what's best for me. I will do what makes me happy. I, I have to say, say I, it's sad to say that I've heard people say that before. I just want to be happy. I just want to do, I, I've always lived my life in a way to make sure other people are happy. Now I want, I want to be happy myself. That's a selfish statement. That's a selfish endeavor. You say, well, shouldn't we all want to be happy? I mean, that's in, I mean, the pursuit of happiness is in our founding documents. But just because that's something in the founding documents doesn't necessarily mean it's supposed to be a tenant or a characteristic in our life as followers of Christ. And our happiness and bliss is coming one day. One day when we're standing in the presence of our Lord, that's when happiness will be fully realized. And happiness is dependent upon circumstances. So if circumstances change, then our happiness changes. We all know that. You know, one, one minute I'm happy, the next minute I'm not. I'm dry, I'm, I'm comfortable, and now I got splashed with a, a big muddy puddle of water. I was happy before, now I'm not happy. I mean, that's, that's circumstances. And so... Um, but selfishness, and this is something I put in your notes, is truly a form of idolatry. That's what it is. Uh, it's self-worship. It's idolizing your wants and your will above others and even above God's. So when we become selfish or when selfishness is, is prevalent in our life or we can identify, I'm, I'm probably being selfish in this area, then what we've determined is that we, again, it's, it's like self, we've made uh, self-worship. We've made ourself the God of our life. We have idolized what we want. We have idolized what we think. We have idolized all the things about us and said, I'm willing to compromise even what God says for me. I'm not asking you to say amen, but that's what we can do in our Christian lives. We can, we can say, I'm okay compromising what God has said because I want this. Now, apply it to whatever, whatever area of your life. But again, we begin to idolize ourself when we become selfish. And this mindset and this heart set, the reality is God has no room to be God in our life in, in that moment or in that season. When we say, I realize that, I know that, you don't have to tell me that, I know scripture, I know what it says, but you know what, I think we've made ourselves uh, uh, our own God, an idol. To understand what this looks like, I think that we need to understand uh, the definition and its application uh, concerning the spiritual life. And so selfishness comes from the word selfish, we know that, but the, self, the word selfish means, and put the definition there as well, it means the description of a person, action, or motive lacking consideration for others concerned chiefly with one's own personal profit or pleasure. So concern primarily with one's own personal profit or pleasure. We've already talked about sacrifice being a mark of spiritual maturity. Um, and when we look at the example of Christ, 
Again, he was the epitome of sacrifice. We also look at Christ, and we would say he is the opposite then of selfishness. He would be the epitome of selflessness. The Bible says that, that he emptied himself, that he, he became the sacrifice. He was poured out for us. Again, he's the perfect example of the opposite of selfishness. See, selfishness is this manifestation, uh, I'm sorry, selflessness is the manifestation of the greatest fruit, uh, the greatest virtue that we are told to have as Christians. Selflessness, the manifestation uh, is selflessness, comes from love. See, when you can truly love sincerely, when we can love the way that God wants us to love, then our whole perspective becomes a selfless perspective. Again, we look at how, how did God express his love? Well, he sacrificed. He gave. He was selfless. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave. He didn't hold back a little bit. He didn't, well, I want this. No, because of God's love, he was selfless with what was most precious to him. Think about that. Because he loved, he was selfless with what was most precious to him. So if you find yourself fighting to do what pleases you more or more often than you consider what others may need, if you find yourself thinking, well, I don't think I want to, I don't care what they, I, I know I've already, if, if, if those are the words, the thoughts, then you're actually doing what is the opposite of Christ's kingdom and what it's all about. Amen. Therefore, to be selfish is to represent the exact opposite of what Christ represented and what his kingdom represents. So when I am selfish, what I'm doing is not being the ambassador of Christ. When I'm selfish with, with, with what I want in my life and it becomes about me, then now it's no longer about Christ's kingdom. We talked about that not this last Sunday, but the Sunday before. Well, I actually mentioned it this past Sunday as well, about making a religion and slapping Christ on it, slapping God on it. But again, when we do that in our life, we can call it whatever we want to call it. We can defend it however we want to try to defend it. But the reality is we are now representing ourselves, not Christ. Amen. Remember, we looked on the mark of love. Uh, we saw what Christ said in John chapter 13. Look, look again what he says in John 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. Again, this is the mark of the kingdom of God. This is the mark of the disciples of Christ that we are to love each other as he has loved us. How did he love us? With a selfless love, with a selfless life. We are to love each other. And, and he goes on, he says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. So again, this is the expression of the kingdom of God. This is the example. This is how we are to be the ambassadors for Jesus Christ is to be selfless, driven by love. But again, that's what love produces is selflessness. We, when we love, we know that, uh, um, what is it? First Corinthians chapter 13, it says that love keeps no records of wrongs, Right? And so when, when it doesn't keep score. So when we are living a life loving others the way that we're supposed to, loving others the way that God has loved us, then we're not keeping track of what others do for us or don't do to us or do for, don't do for us and what they have done or what they haven't done. We don't operate like that. We operate from a place of love 
And in that love, it show, again, it shows itself as a selfless life. It's not about me. Yeah, but they're, they're walking all over you. They walked all over my Lord. Yeah, but they're taking advantage of They took advantage of the Lord. Hey, do another miracle for us. Come on. That's what they did. Yeah, but, I mean, is that really wise? I'm not talking about being foolish. I'm not talking about uh, being, you know, ignorant or anything like that. I'm talking about being Christ-like. I'm talking about being selfless, driven by love. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, very familiar. We've used this several uh, times in this study about spiritual maturity. In verse 13, it says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. When we're talking about carnality, we looked at this verse. So in other words, don't use the freedom you have in Christ for selfish indulgence, for fleshly, carnal, selfish indulgence. Don't use it for yourself. Don't use the freedom you have in Christ for yourself. But through love, serve others. See, that's the key. Again, it goes back to what our perspective is. If our, if our heart is set on love and loving like Christ has loved us, loved us then we're not concerned about using freedom using what we have for ourselves we're concerned about serving others and he says the whole law is fulfilled one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself so what is the root of selfish then what is the root of selfishness if if this is the impedance that a major impedance that keeps us from being christ-like if christ was the opposite of selfishness then then what is the root of it all it's very simple. It's in the word. Self. It's self. Well, the, 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 uh, I think it's in Colossians. Paul said, uh, or he said, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on Christ. That, that's, that's our, uh, in Colossians, he says that your life is hid with God in him. That we are, it's not supposed to be about us. We're going to see that a little bit more. But again, we, we start to, to live our lives and think in our minds convince us, maybe because the culture around us or because what we see in other, other Christian, professing Christians, and we start to live our faith out with self at the center instead of Christ at the center. With, with our own identity being what is most important instead of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Again, it, it becomes centered on us. And this goes back to the garden, right? When we look back to Adam and Eve, that's exactly where it all started, right? They, they, they were happy, right? Their circumstances were good, but it wasn't good enough. The tempter comes along and says, look, you're missing something. Think about yourselves. I mean, he didn't say that, but that's what he was trying to do. Has God really said? He questioned, he tried to get them to question the word of God, which today, again, that's the compromise, the word of God. Has God truly said? Yes, he has, you know? And that's exactly what, that, that's what Eve should have said. Yeah, he did. And I'm not getting behind me, Satan. Yeah, I mean, uh, but it, it was that thought of maybe I am missing out on something. Maybe I would have a better experience than I already have. We could say that selfishness is not only a form of idolatry, but as we saw in the, the garden, as we even see in our life, selfishness is a form of rebellion against God. When we say, me, I, we now have, have said, you know what? My life is no longer about him. It's about me. 
It's a form of rebellion against God. Selfishness says, I know I'm not supposed to have any other gods before God, right? That's, that's in the commandments. That's right, I have no other gods before me. Selfishness says, I know that I'm not supposed to have any other gods before God or to make a graven image. What's a graven image? A God that suits me because that's what, because that's what I want. Selfishness uh, says, you know what? I know these things, but I think it's okay. So we can make it, this God to suit ourselves out of selfishness. By making this God, we end up saying to the true God, you're not enough. Think about that. When we make a God that suits ourselves, and you say, well, how do you make a God that suits yourself? You, you make a God that suits yourself by saying things like, you know, I don't think God cares if I, well, wait a second. Did, did God say that? Because if God didn't say that, now you've made a God that's not the God of the Bible. Because you, you can't think to know the heart of God or the mind of God. Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul said, who can know the mind of God? Who's, who's referring to the, the prophet? Who can be his counselor? Who can know, you know, and in, in, in even uh, Isaiah, his thoughts are above our thoughts, his ways above our ways. I mean, there's no way that we can know the mind of God. And so unless God has said it in his word, let's be careful not to put words in the mouth of God. And say things like, well, I don't think God minds if I, well, check it out. See if he minds or he doesn't mind. Well, I don't, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think it's okay because I've never read in the Bible just because you haven't read it. Again, if we're not careful, we can craft a God, a little G, that isn't the God of this Bible, isn't the God of creation. And we can worship that graven image. That, that God, this, this, this idea of God that we have formed for ourselves. I have family members that will reject the God of this Bible. But they will say all day they believe in God. And they'll say things like, well, my God. But that's what it is. It's your God. It's not God. It's not the God. The only God. But when we operate like this, when we begin to make a graven image, a God that suits ourselves, or when we become selfish and self-absorbed or idolizing ourselves and, and, and idolizing our desires, our will, our wants, when we do this, we become destructive, not constructive to the kingdom of God. See, we don't think it's a big deal. Like, the, 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 look in the Old Testament. Do a study of the Old Testament and see every time the nation of Israel strayed from what God had commanded them. Why did God command them certain things? Why was he so specific about certain uh, ways to do things and not do things? Because he wanted his people to trust his word and trust his way. All of his word and all of his ways would point to Jesus Christ. And so when we would look back at the Old Testament and say all these, these rites and ceremonies and things they were supposed to say, that's a lot of stuff to do. It wasn't about the stuff. It was never about the stuff. It was always about faith and their relationship with God. He would, Paul would say that about Abraham. It was counted for him for righteousness. His faith was. And so again, when we look at, man, God is very clear. He is God. 
and there is no other gods. So when we try to approach him, when we try to approach this faith, we try to approach his kingdom living as a child of God in his kingdom with something other than very clearly his word, then now we've become destructive, not constructive for his kingdom. People look at us, just like sometimes we look at other people who call themselves Christians, and, and they say things like this, well, I know so-and-so's a Christian, and they don't. Is that building of the kingdom or tearing down of the kingdom? Again, if it's, if it's drawing people away from a closer walk and relationship with the Lord or being more obedient to the Lord, then it's destructive. I can't tell you how many times I've heard Christians say that. It's really not that big of a deal. I know so-and-so's a Christian. I don't know if they do this. So-and-so's not the standard. Jesus Christ is the standard. And so when we live our lives looking at other people, we have to understand, I'm not saying everybody here does, but when we can be guilty of looking at other people and what they do or what they don't, they don't do, we have to understand that other people are also looking at us. And so we can either be destructive, damaging to God, his kingdom, his name, or we can be constructive. We can help build it up. It's a serious thing. So what ways, what areas does selfishness become destructive? As I said a while ago, uh, it, it, it is uh, something where it affects what's valuable to us, right? Because that's what we end up guarding against. We, we, we have things that we value in our life, and the reason why we become selfish sometimes is because we feel like that we have to guard these things that are valuable to us. What are some of those things? Time, right? So we become selfish and it becomes destructive in our time, right? So, so we, it was so funny is the more selfish we become with our time, the less we feel like we have. That's the reality. They said, not me. I feel like I'm always doing for other people, being so selfless, and that's why I don't have time. Well, maybe it's the motive of your heart. Again, when we become selfish, selfish, becomes destructive in our time. Selfishness concerning time says, my time is my time. I want to do this now. I don't want to do that now. Selfishness becomes destructive in talent. Someone else can do that. I don't have to do that. Church is always asking for help and volunteers. They're always talking about this. My neighbor's always this. They're, again, we, we, we can say, you know what, I... I don't want to do that. I may have the ability, but I, I don't want to. Selfishness can be destructive with talent. And then, of course, you know the third treasure. Selfishness says, I work hard for this. I'm not going to help them out. I'm not going to give some to them. Selfishness says, it's my money. And I already have too much to pay for right now. We have to pay for this and we have to pay for that. But you have to know, if that's the way you're operating, that's why you don't have enough money. That's the reality. If you approach things and money with closed fists, like it's mine, then that's yours. Old Testament, New Testament, it's all in there. God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, you know, we're going to see in just a second, you can't serve God and money. 
uh, you, uh, in the Old Testament, they're supposed to, their farms, they were supposed to save a portion for those who are passing through. To be able to give to those who are hungry as they pass through the area. That, uh, save a portion back for others. Not, not, not the first fruits. The first fruits of all the increase was supposed to be brought to the Lord. And then you're supposed to save some extra so you can be a blessing to other people who are in need. But how we live in, the, in America sometimes is from that selfish place. Well, I've got to have this, and I have this, and I have that. Listen, I believe when we live like that, God's like, then I can't entrust you with more. You're wanting to say, you say, I want to be able to do this. I want to be able to give. I want to be able to, I want to, be able to help. I want to be able to do this. I want to do that. But, but maybe it's because of the perspective. Why does selfishness, though, have no place in the believer's life? Well, the obvious question is, not only Christ, he displayed the opposite, selflessness, who's, again, supposed to be who we're modeling our lives after. But the reality is this. When you said yes to Jesus, when I said yes to Jesus, I gave up all my rights. That's the truth. That's what Scripture says. When you said, I want your blood to cover my sin. I want your righteousness to cover me. I want your free gift of salvation. I trust you that your work on the cross is finished for my sin. I trust that the grave is empty and I have life through you and you alone. I believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. I accept that and I entrust you with my life. When we did that, we gave up all rights to ourselves. We're no longer ours. Scripture says it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19. What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. Listen to what he says. Because you're bought with a price. You're not your own anymore. If you're, the whole, if, if you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, it's God's temple. You are God's temple. You are God's possession. And you've been bought with the price of Christ's blood. So therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are, which are God's. They don't say which are still yours, which are God's. Your whole being is God's. When you get saved, you become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And at that moment, you are no longer your own. Selfishness, again, manifests, manifests its destruction through our time, talent, and treasure. But there are certain applications of life that we see it being so destructive in. Uh, the first thing that it's a destructive trait found in is in the marriage. So when you, when you are selfish in the marriage, man, it's not, it does not go good. It doesn't work good. When you're selfish in the marriage, it's a destructive thing. It's also a destructive trait found in the home as a whole, where, where kids are involved. When, when there's selfishness, it's destructive in the home. It's destructive in the church. If, if we operate in, the, in this body of believers like it's about us individually, why don't they do this? Why don't they do that? Why do they do this? I don't like that. I don't like that. When we become like that and we become about us versus what does God desire? What, how can I lay down my life? What's best for the glory of God? What's best for the advancement of his kingdom? 
How can I serve other people in, in my church family? How can I encourage them and edify them? When it becomes a life of selflessness, then it becomes building up and encouraging and edifying and even so much more as the day approaches because we're gathering and, and we're doing those things. But when it becomes selfish and internal, it becomes destructive. Again, it becomes destructive in your life when you become selfish, in, in your time, talent, treasure, in other ways, but also it becomes destructive in your connection to the body of Christ. Selfishness is destructive to the church. It's also destructive to the relationship. And I just put relationship because I'm talking about any relationship, your friendships, your neighbors, inside the church, outside the church. Selfishness is a trait that's destructive in any relationship. What about the job? I don't talk about my job. Everybody's out for their own at my job. I know. Be different. Be the light at your job because that's what the world says. You better go get your own because nobody else is going to give it to you. Hey, if you don't, you're going to lose it. You better watch your back. You, you know, that, that's, the, that's the lesson the world teaches. Say, so, yeah, but if, if I operate like you're saying, like selfless and thinking about other people first and considering them at my job, I'll lose my job. Somebody will hop over me, they'll fire me, and, and, and it'll be over. Listen, be concerned about being who God's called you to be more than what this world can give to you. Because in the end, that's what's worthwhile. Say, so, yeah, so you, you want me to just lose my job and then we'll have to lose our house and we we'll won't have any bills. That, that's where, now, again, you've made it all about you. you made it all about yourself. Be who God's called you to be. What if you lost everything today? Everything you own is gone. Last night, the lightning storm, crazy, right? We are driving, Avery had practice, we are driving back from her practice, and she said, can um, lightning cause fires? I was like, yeah, it causes fires all the time. And she said, like on the street? And I'm like, well, no, it's got to have something to ignite. I mean, typically not just, you know, on, on the concrete street, you know. Um, I'm, I'm sure it could, I mean, but typically not. And I said, it, it can cause grass fires like they hadn't been raining. It can strike. She goes, what about houses? I said, absolutely. I said, sometimes it can strike trees, and trees can damage houses and destroy them. I mean, uh, it, 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 it's, it's all that. And she said, wow, just like that. And I said, yeah, in an instant, boom, <laughs> Just the reality. What, what, if, what if that was a reality in our life? Just in an instant, boom, everything we had gone. How, how, how would we move forward? Would we be so attached to our stuff and, and what was about us that it would just devastate us? Or could we say like Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. And so that sounds really righteous, but how would you respond? I don't know how I respond. I hope that I would say exactly what I just preached. Because the reality is, it's just stuff, and this is a temporal world. And again, when we operate from the right perspective, everything uh, just lines up. But selfishness can surface at different points in our lives, uh, different seasons. Um, but here's the truth. Many times, selfishness is brought to the surface of our character under pressure. When things get difficult, when things get uncomfortable, when things get unhappy, when circumstances go bad, a lot of times that's when that selfish nature, nature can rise up. And sometimes it's just to, to guard and protect. 
what we think is valuable or what we deem is valuable. But that's the truth about most of the traits that we have in our character. Most traits are seen in a pronounced way when pressure is given. They rise to the top. So if you are selfish, usually under pressure, selfishness will rear its head. If you're prideful, uh, if you are fleshly, if you, like, for example, uh, if, if things get really, really difficult in your life and you've been walking in the flesh and you're living your life to please the flesh and, and, and you're about yourself. Now, you may show up for church and you may call yourself a Christian, but when things get really bad and you are, you're, you're living in the flesh, things get tight, boom, you're gone. Uh, on the other side, faith, if faith or, or walking in the Spirit is, is, is what defines you, when things get difficult, your faith becomes more pronounced. Man, I've seen that in lives in this church. People go through astronomical trials, and it seems like under that pressure, their faith becomes more and more pronounced. And I'm like, that, that's what happens under pressure. When you get stressed, when you get pressured, what happens? Does selfishness surface? We've not had time for ourselves. Uh-oh, I'm about to maybe touch some sensitive. When we can never afford, but they can always. When we're ne never able to, but others can always seem to. When we are always the one doing for others, but when is someone going to do for me? When we're tired of always being the one. Fill in the blank. Can I sh just share this? Those attitudes are a reflection of someone operating in the flesh. A selfish attitude. That's just the flesh rearing its head. When you're having those thoughts and saying those things, when will I why does it always have to be me? Why, when can we? What, that's just selfishness. See, when you walk in the Spirit, the regard for self only factors in whether you're in line with God, with His Word, with His will or not. Other than that, the primary regard when you're walking in the Spirit is for others. Jesus Christ illustrated that. Again, He shows us that very clearly. Philippians chapter 2 uh, I'll read through this real quick. Uh, verse 1, If there, there be therefore any consolation or any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from love, any fellowship or any participation of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, listen to what Paul says, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. What do those words mean? Let nothing be done in your Christian life with selfish ambition or conceit. Don't let anything you do be about you, or about what you benefit from. Don't live your life like that, he says. But in lowliness of mind, let's, let each esteem other better than themselves. What's our theme this year? Others over self. That's the theme verse. So that's what Paul just says. Listen, if, if you're going to do what pleases God, this is what's going to bring me joy, then be unified. Have the same mind. Have the same love for each other. Don't live your lives from a selfish place. But consider other people before yourselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was in who? Which was in Christ Jesus. What, did, what was the mind that he had that's supposed to be in us? 
He was in the form of God, and he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, because he was God, but made himself of no reputation, and he took on himself the form of a servant, and was laid, made in the likeness of man, or the fashion. He looked like a man, and being found as in the form of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. There's no greater selfless expression than to die as a holy God for wicked sinners. And that's what he did. He humbled himself and became obedient. He lived and he died with selflessness. Possibly one of the most difficult things to battle in our lives, even as Christians, is selfishness. Now, you may not see it, again, very pronounced in your life, but I believe we all have a measure of it somewhere in our, in our person. The key in this pursuit of spiritual maturity is to have less and less of it as we go along this journey to spiritual maturity. So, a, a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, I want to be more selfless and less selfish than I was yesterday or a month ago or a year ago that's the goal is to become more and more selfless as i'm becoming more and more like christ because that's what he was the epitome of again when we get saved as i said a while ago we turn over the reins of our entire life to jesus christ and salvation we're told that's what we must do that's what we must confess roman you say i don't i don't know that that's true no it's 100 percent true look at romans chapter 10 verse 9 it says paul's talking about how Salvation happens if you confess with your mouth that mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God's raising from the dead, you will be saved. And he explains the heart one believes and is justified. That's where it happens. But the mouth is the verification of it. It's 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 the confessing, professing, the declaration of what's in your heart, what you've already believed. And in order to be saved, it says. That's what you do. You confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Now, that, that may not seem like a big deal. We hear that all the time. Jesus Christ is Lord. Christ Jesus Lord. Lord, Lord, Lord. We throw that, that word around. But I, I want us to look at that because I'm almost done. I, I want you to look at that. The Greek word is kurios. That, the Greek word for Lord is kurios. You know what that means? Put it on there. It means supreme in authority, controller master so to confess christ as lord in other words to, to to be able to be saved you must do this you must confess him as your lord you are saying you are now the controller of my you're the owner of my life you've purchased me i'm no longer mine we saw that you are my master you are the one that directs i'm the one that follows you are lord in my life paul would illustrate this from the moment that he got saved on the road to damascus even to some of the epistles that he would write. In like uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, he, he writes that he's a servant of Jesus Christ. But uh, again, on the road to Damascus, in Acts chapter 9, verse 6, it says this, that he trembled and astonished, and he said these words, Lord, curios, master, controller. I I'm And then look what he says next. What will you have me to do? That's the epitome of confessing Christ as Lord, of saying, I'm doing whatever you want me to do. Not what I want. I'm no longer a selfish person. I'm no longer living for me. I'm no longer living for what works for me. I am now under your control, Lord. That's what the word Lord means. Again, his letters to the Philippians, 
Corinthians, James, the brother of Jesus, would say, James chapter 1, he would refer to himself as a servant. 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter would refer to himself as a servant. Not only that, Jude, the brother of James, would refer to himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. As believers, followers, disciples of Jesus Christ, what we call the word Christians, we are to do the same. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 22. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's freeman. Listen, likewise also, he that is called, being free, is Christ's servant. You're bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. Ephesians chapter 6. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and singleness of your heart, as unto Christ, not with thy service as men pleasers, listen, but as the servants of Christ. Look what it says next. Doing the will of God from the heart. It's about being selfless. It's about that perspective that he is the master. I am the servant. My life is no longer mine. Again, we have no other master if we are truly a follower of Jesus Christ than Jesus Christ. And that includes the master of self. There is no other controller in our life if we are under the lordship of Jesus Christ, including ourselves. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any man will follow after, if you're going to come after me, look what he says, let him deny what? Himself. Himself. So you can't, you can't give in to, you can't live for yourself, you can't serve yourself, you can't be selfish. If you want to follow me, you must deny yourself. And then take up his cross and follow me. Jesus, again, would have set the perfect example of what it looks like in our lives. Even when what we would consider was, was he struggling with this? Of course he wasn't struggling with this, but we know that Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. The hypostatic union of Christ. That's what that word is. We have no idea what that is. The reason why is because we have no other example in our life other than when Jesus Christ was, was God incarnate. What that means is he lacked nothing about being God he lacked nothing about being a man. So when he's in the garden, right before he's crucified, right before he is betrayed, right before all these things happen, he prays a prayer. And I believe to set an example for us in our difficult times, when pressure, as I said a while ago, comes in, and when selfishness has a tendency to surface, Christ sets the example of what it should look like in our lives. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, he went a little further to pray, uh, and on his, uh, I'm sorry, and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, Father, listen to what he says, if it be possible, let this cup, this, this cup uh, of wrath that he was going to, this, this, this sacrifice. Nevertheless, what he says, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Perfect example. In this moment, I want to be selfish. Verse 42, it goes, it goes on, it says, he went away again the second time. And he prayed, saying, O Father, O my Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, then thy will be done. I, I again, he was, in, he was in great distress, the Bible says, so much so that he was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. Capillaries were breaking in his brow. He was under great distress. In this moment, he could have done something different. Now, not as he was unwilling, of course he came as God to this earth to be the sacrifice. It wasn't that he was unwilling to sacrifice his life. Obviously, his resolution was clear. He was crucified, even when he could have summoned the host of heaven. 
He was crucified. But in this, we see an example of the battle of our human flesh and God's Spirit. He told his disciples, who were actually struggling as men in that moment, in verse 40, you look at it, what it says. And he cometh unto the disciples, and what, what happens? He finds them asleep. And he says to Peter, what, you, you couldn't watch me one hour? It's, it's desperate times right now. It's, it's difficult times. I'm in distress. I'm asking you to pray. I'm asking you to do something spiritual. I'm asking you to consider me. I'm asking you to consider the kingdom of God. I'm asking you not to think about yourself. But I don't want to do that. I, 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 well, I want to. I just would rather do, the, again, whatever the case may be. So he says, watch and pray that you enter not in temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so this evening... I want us to be challenged. I want us to, to remove any selfishness in any area of our lives that we can identify. These areas that we can board up and, and we can label no access or mine. This day is mine. This activity is mine. This money is mine. This relationship is mine. This is mine. All those areas that we board up and label that. Let's, you know what? Let's say this. God, you have all access. I'm, I submit myself and surrender myself wholly to you. I want to be a selfless servant. I don't want to be a selfish person. Tonight, I, I challenge you. Look at the example of our Lord. who was perfectly selfless. And let's be challenged to evaluate, where am I selfish? Am I being selfish in my time? Am I being selfish with abilities God's given me? Am I being selfish with treasure that he's blessed me with? Am I being selfish in my marriage? Am I being selfish in my home? Am I being selfish in the church? Am I, am I being selfish? What, are, what areas am I selfish in? And then lay them before the Lord. And say, God, I want to be that servant, that selfless, following you. Pray, Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for this challenge again to me, uh, to our church. God, again, there's times that we can all be selfish in various areas and, and again, different times, different circumstances. But Lord, you set the perfect example of how to battle that and that submission to you. There in the garden, you could have been selfish. There in the garden, you could have thought about the pain and said, I, I, I'm going to figure out a different way, but you paid the price. You were selfless. You considered us above yourself. Lord, help us to follow that example in our lives. We ask you to move now as we respond to your word, as we respond to this message. Lord, help us to be selfless. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name.